0: there's so many like little systems that are being sold out there on Instagram you know for young people to start businesses but I think that what people really need to ask themselves is is what problem am I solving
1: this is the learn with LELS podcast I'm Caitlin Jinko also known as LELS I believe that lifelong learning is so important it allows us to keep improving ourselves and the world around us And what better way to do that than to hear stories from people of all different walks of life. On the Learn With Laws podcast, I speak with people whom I think the world needs to hear from and with people whom I just think are interesting. We talk about their lives and the lessons they've been learning along the way. I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to listen. I hope you enjoy and that you keep on learning. Hi everybody, and thank you for listening to episode 37 of the Learn With Lows podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Caroline Mangasing, who is the founder, CEO, and creative director of Vinta Gallery, a clothing company that creates modern Filipino clothes that are designed in Toronto and created in Manila. If you've never seen Vinta Gallery's clothes, especially if you're Filipino, you need to check them out. They are traditional, and modern, and beautiful, and unlike anything I've ever seen before. In our conversation, Caroline and I talked about how Vinta Gallery came to be, the whole process of creating Vinta sustainable and ethically handmade garments, how Caroline felt ashamed to be a Filipina growing up and how that's impacted her business and career, and a bit about Filipino culture, shame, and history. Heading into this conversation, I was expecting to talk about business and clothes, but Caroline's passion for Filipino culture and getting Filipinos to understand ourselves really shine through. And so now I find myself both eyeing Vinta Gallery's pieces and reading about colonization in the Philippines in an effort to learn about myself. FYI, when you're listening to this, if you're wondering what Sanan is, that is the Philippine Arts and Cultural Center that Caroline founded and ran prior to taking on Vinta Gallery full-time. So yeah, Caroline is just so cool. I love seeing a Filipino boss because it paves the way for people like me. And whether you're a fashion lover, a Filipino, an entrepreneur, or even none of the above, I hope you enjoy and find some value in this conversation. Thank you again for agreeing to be on my podcast. Um, For our listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? So like your name and what you do?
0: Okay. My name is Caroline Mangosing and I am the founder and creative director of Vinta Gallery.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I found you on Instagram, um, a Filipina girl who I follow shared Some of your clothes, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, these are beautiful!" And I've never seen clothes like that before. That are like traditional Filipino, but like I would still want to wear like in my everyday. So I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I want to talk to this lady."
0: (laughs) Nice. That's exactly my mission when I made it. Mm -hmm. So traditional Filipino clothes that are recognizable by Filipinos Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that you can wear every day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, so can you tell me in your words what Vinta Gallery is all about? You did kind of just describe it a little bit, but maybe you could
0: elaborate a little more. Um, well, it's just modern Filipiniana that is adapted to our lifestyle. Um, I, I say modern all the time. It's all over our branding, but ultimately, you know, Filipiniana is contemporary, it's like, it's present. You know what I mean? But the the way that people say it's modern feels like, oh, it was like in ancient times, <laughs> we wore it like this or whatever. And now it's a modern version, but really there was always, it was always evolving and it just kind of fell out of fashion for a little while. And, you know, that's a long kind of story. It's mostly about the Marcoses, you know, like, they were always filipiniana and then when that um when they got kicked out of the philippines it's like people didn't want to wear it anymore Mm -hmm. and i feel like from that point on like in the 80s um the filipiniana as we knew it stopped evolving with current fashion you know yeah Yeah. that's why it became like ceremonial and beaded and encrusted and not wearable
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know what I mean yeah So I just kind of wanted to change that because I wanted to wear it
1: Mm -hmm. I wanted yeah yeah cool so you've kind of like taken the old school stuff but updated it so that people would want to wear it today
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so how did you get the idea to to do all that
0: well, my previous career, I um, was running Capisanan, which is a Filipino arts and cultural center here in Toronto in downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for about 10 years. And um, of course people called me, it's like, do you have Filipino costume for my kids for a multicultural day? And um, so I started looking into it and I was just thinking like, on my trips to the Philippines, I would just go and buy a bunch of stuff and then sell it to the community. Um, but then I got, I did more research and it's like, I have a fashion background. My mom used to have a children's clothing manufacturing company when I was little. So I grew up in an atelier, like a sewing shop, you know, with about 20 sewers, pretty big, actually Mm -hmm. bigger than what mine is now. So I felt comfortable and like "Hmm, maybe we can do this, and I just started doing the research, and then it would be like a social enterprise for Kapisanan, like Mm -hmm. a way for the nonprofit to earn money. Okay, cool. Meanwhile, I'm doing two full time things, right? It's like running the organization and then also running this side hustle fashion business within that organization.
1: Okay, interesting. I didn't know that you were still doing that you're doing both that's a lot not
0: anymore. not anymore oh okay okay uh i stopped in 2015 i um stepped down from kapisanan because um we just lost a bunch of funding like annual funding operating funding so i was like i can't do it anymore it's mm-hmm. hard work you know and yeah it was like barely making minimum wage mm-hmm. until the end you know mm-hmm. and it was like really out of you know, the passion for sharing Filipino culture, it, it was like not a very lucrative career.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: and, you know, the new um, leadership wasn't going to be able to manage what I did. Mm, I see. Because I have the fashion background and I have the connections in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So I took it with me mm-hmm. and started a for-profit and, um, you know, made a legitimate business out of it.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so cool um so is the market for your clothes just Filipinos or do non-Filipinos buy your clothes or do you want them to be wearing your clothes like who who is this all for I mean
0: you know we do try to target um uh, no not really we don't really try to target anybody else other than Filipinos but non-Filipinos have bought it um Mm -hmm. I mostly non-Filipinos who are Married to a Filipino, or you know, have Filipino best friends, or um, or else just um, people who appreciate the fashion and aesthetic of it. Mm -hmm. Cool, but not as much. It's mostly Filipinos. Um, we do our marketing and Instagram, like talking to our people, you know. Yeah, I don't have a problem with non Filipinos wearing it at all, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. Because yeah. the thing is, it's like, we identify it. This is Filipiniana. If you're going to buy it, you're going to wear it, you're going to say what it is. Yeah, know? true. Because it's like, if a white woman is wearing a terno, people are going to ask her, oh, my God, what is that? Where mm-hmm. did you get that from? And that person better say that it's <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I for think, sure. You know, people are kind of like, oh, I don't want to be appropriative or, or whatever. But it's like, it's fine. Wear it. Just, just say what it is, yeah. identify as what, what it is.
1: Yeah, because yeah, it can be difficult to
0: know, like, am I appropriating or am I appreciating? Yeah, because they're buying it from a Filipino company, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, We're an ethical company, we pay um, sustainable living wages in the Philippines for our sewers, so mm-hmm. it's like they can feel good about that. Yeah. And also that it's very much rooted in the culture.
1: Yeah, true. But if anyone asks, make sure you give credit where credit is due.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, as you were saying that um, your clothing is slowly and ethically made in the Philippines. Um, can you tell me like, what that process is like and
0: why this slow process is important to you? Um, I just when I was doing research and trying to find people who would sew it like first of all I have a couturier um Mananglita I call her Mananglita and um I've known her for many years and she made my wedding dress in like 2004 Um, I met her through a friend and she's just like a. she worked for herself she sewed and she used to work for a huge like one of the top designers in the Philippines Um, and then she started just working for herself because her clients were super loyal to her So when she made my wedding dress, I hadn't met her yet. And then I didn't meet her until two years after. But she um, made my wedding dress based on a technical sketch that I made and my mom printed it out and gave it to her and gave her my measurements. And I got my dress in a FedEx box, shipped to me and it was perfect. And it was like fully corseted and boned and everything. And it was like perfect. And I was like, oh my God. And when I met her two years later, I was like, I want to start a business with you. And, and it didn't happen until 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So, but now she's part of my business. She's my, um, she's my partner. I made her a shareholder in the company. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, if I have her, then I just have to build a team around her. And that's not going to be possible in a factory setting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I were to outsource to a factory and I did try like I tried sampling from other you know from factories and other kind of sewing outfits in the Philippines and it was just never as good quality
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I thought I'm living in Canada it's going to be so hard to constantly micromanage the quality control Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to kind of set something up where we have full control Right. So that's, that's kind of like what I started with. And then I thought, if I start my own sewing shop, then I'm able to control how much I pay them and the, you know, just the kind of environment that they're in and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it was like the only way a lot of people kind of actually didn't think it was a good idea, like business incubation kind of things and business advisors were like why are you doing that
1: why what what's the problem with that uh
0: because it's not lucrative mm, true because when you know when you think about fashion you think about fast fashion you think about volume mm-hmm. you think about factory made you right. know and then and then you can get you know a pair of pants for 12 cents and then you sell it for nineteen ninety nine, and then you sell a thousand of them Mm -hmm. then you make your money right Mm -hmm. it's just that kind of scale Mm -hmm. Um, and i just didn't want to do that right i I just didn't care for that i was like i want it to be high quality and i will charge high quality prices but no one is exploited down the line
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like that was the idea behind it like everybody's making a good living and happy in what they're doing and they're making a beautiful product. Mm-hmm. I love that, and, that's amazing. And then it served me during this pandemic because I was able to quickly pivot. Um, my atelier is in a suburban house, a three bedroom big house in the suburbs and um, there's living quarters there. So my sewers quarantined in the house and they kept oh. working. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, so some of them brought their family members in, so they were a little bit cramped because a couple of them brought in their kids um, to lockdown, like to um, quarantine. When the initial lockdown happened in the Philippines, it was really, really astringent. Like you couldn't walk the streets, like you couldn't ride on the road unless you were in a private vehicle and there were stops. Like you had to have an idea of like, why are you out? Are you an essential kind of thing? Yeah. So. It was great. And then, you know, I had to pivot and change designs and make it more casual and, you know, not go through with some of the more formal stuff that we were making. True. Um, Because I guess
1: those big events weren't
0: happening, right? Yeah. And um, so we were able to do it quickly. My Mm -hmm. company's on Slack. My atelier manager is on Slack. And we just video chat. It's like, okay, we're going to cancel this design, cancel this design. I made new designs. Let's do it. And then we kind of went from there.
1: Mm -hmm. wow that's so cool
0: yeah so now it's like and then now the you know the fashion industry is buckling under the factory situation and like all the stores closing (laughs) down and and then the factories aren't paid Mm -hmm. and um and then everybody's out of a job and they can't work
1: I've been learning a lot about fast fashion because I feel like since forever, I've been like, oh, I'm gonna go to Zara and Forever 21 and save my money. But then like, as I've been getting older and learning more, I'm realizing like, oh, like, I might be saving money, but like somebody else is like, having a terrible lifestyle, because I'm able to buy such cheap clothes. So I'm like, trying to figure out like, what, like, when I do shop, like, where am I going to go? Because now I'm more conscious of the conditions. So it's great to hear um how you have everything all set up and how your employees are
0: treated well. So
1: mm-hmm. it's great to
0: hear. I know it's hard to shop because it's like it's also the the volume in which we're used to shopping. Mm-hmm. I'm a recovered shopaholic for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I used to buy a lot of vintage anyway because mm-hmm. it was what I can afford. Mm-hmm. And I still do it now. Yeah. Just because it's made better. Yeah. True. in the 80s and earlier it's just better quality Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um but yeah for sure it's hard to um think about where are you gonna shop now because it's like Mm
1: -hmm. so i just don't shop yeah (laughs) yeah that's what i've been doing when i am like ready to buy clothes i'm definitely gonna look at everything you've been making and buy some of that stuff because it is beautiful i my favorite thing um is the cropped barong oh mm-hmm. my god it's so cute
0: <laughs> yeah that one's a popular one we've had to make it over and over mm-hmm. and that's the thing with filipiniana is it's like i'm not doing you know four five seasons of designs
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's like every season i come out with some new designs but then i bring back a lot of the designs that i've had since 2016. Yeah. Because it's timeless. Mm-hmm. It's a barong. Yeah. You know? The crop cut has been popular since the 80s. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: it hasn't really gone out of style.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, I love that too. Because especially in trying to like avoid fast fashion, finding clothes that are timeless is key.
0: Yeah. So like a crop barong is basically like a t-shirt. You can wear it with shorts and sneakers or you can wear it with a skirt and heels or, you know, there's... Mm-hmm. There's ways to, I think people are just learning that and we try and style it in a way like, why don't you style it like this? It doesn't always have to be black pants or a black mm-hmm. skirt. Yeah. flat pants. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's so cool. I love it. Um, so what is your process like? Like you do the designs and then you send them to your team in the Philippines and they create them? Is that how it all works?
0: Pretty much. Um, I have to do technical sketches. Mm -hmm. And it's hard right now because usually I go there twice a year and I do fabric shopping myself. Um, And I um, so then I can see and then it inspires the design and I can feel it. Um, But because we haven't been able to do that and the fabric stores that we and suppliers that we get from have been very good at like providing swatches and like couriering it. To the atelier, and then my manager adds it to the shipment to like the next shipment, and then I and then I'm able to touch it and look at it, and then mm-hmm. design something. I draw a technical sketch, send it to them. They print it out, and then they make a prototype in just like a white cotton um, fabric, like a cotton canvas, like a light canvas, and um, and then my uh, our surface designer. Alagad uh, sining is his Instagram name. Um, he does all the embroidery design. Mm-hmm. So then they'll do the prototype with the embroidery, mm-hmm. and then one of my sewers will wear it, and they'll take pictures. Mm-hmm. Wow! And then, and then I approve it, and then they make a sample, and they ship it with the next box, and I look at the final fabric sample, and then I approve it, and mm-hmm. then they make one. So each new design has like a prototype that's done ahead of time in the final fabric so that I can get it and touch it and look at it and then mm-hmm. approve it. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And is your, are your clients mostly from Canada or the Philippines or where are they usually? Based? They're
0: from the States. Oh yeah. Cool. They're from the okay. States. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that that's where, you know, like Filipino population in Canada is only like maybe 700,000, it's like under a million. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in California alone is like 2 million. Yeah. Right, so mm-hmm. I knew that that's where I was gonna target. That's, mm-hmm. that's who I was gonna target, is like that big population there. Yeah. And the Filipino population in the diaspora is completely underserved in terms of barongs and traditional clothing, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so it made sense. So the website is in U.S. dollar. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for Canadians, <laughs> it's very pricey when you convert it to Canadian. But I have to go. That's when I have to like put on my capitalism hat. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I need to market to the people who are there's a lot more of them, mm-hmm. and you know, and then it makes the rest of the business sustainable. Yeah. That's totally fair.
1: Yeah, I do have a lot of cousins in California. (laughs) Now that you mention it. So that does make sense.
0: Yeah, Yeah. my family immigrated to California first. Mm -hmm. And then we came to
1: Canada. Yeah, I feel like I have to say like, it's so cool to see like a boss, Filipino woman. (laughs) Because like, I don't know, it's always cool to see like a good, strong female boss, but I don't know many who are also Filipino. So it's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Thank
0: you. Yeah. Of course. Rare. It's um. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it makes it kind of. It's hard. Yeah, because there's
1: no example.
0: I don't have any mentors.
1: Yeah. So you're trailblazing. You're leading the way.
0: (laughs) Yes, I have heard that word. (laughs) Yeah. Describe me a lot in my life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. So as you were mentioning before that. Um, you're very involved in the Filipino community, having found um, the a Filipino Arts and Culture Center, and then now having this company that's all about Filipino clothes. Um, so why is being a part of the Filipino
0: community so important to you? Mm. Well, it's uh that was like a lifelong journey, type of thing, Um, just being an immigrant and having a lot of shame, you know, the usual story. Um, And then in college, I got really politicized, got radicalized, became an activist, started really looking at my identity as a Filipino Canadian. And um, yeah, I just thought, okay, I I don't want to be ashamed anymore. And I Mm want to look more into this. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it started. Um, so I moved to Toronto from Vancouver after, when I was your age, I was mm-hmm. like 27. Um, and because I found out that 50% of all Filipinos who live in Canada live in Toronto. Oh, wow. That was the reason why you moved? Yeah. Oh my gosh, cool. I was obsessed. It was like, I need to <laughs> yeah. to Filipinos. And I need to find Filipino artists Mm -hmm. because I was in the arts. I went to art school and it's like Vancouver at that time was very white. There was like maybe two other Filipinos in the entire art school. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I just couldn't relate because I I was like really wanting to do a deep dive about my identity. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I moved here, um, I met people, I met my husband, and he was a Filipino artist, Filipino-Canadian artist, filmmaker. And we started making movies like on our first date. Oh
1: my gosh, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> Deadlines, you know, like mm-hmm. looking at things to apply for and, and that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like, I can't like, all of our films had Philippine content in it. Mm-hmm. They were either, you know, Filipino, Canadian stories, or whatever, had something to do with being Filipino, and then mm-hmm. it evolved into me running the the center, founding a a center mm-hmm. for Filipinos. Mm-hmm. Wow,
1: that's so cool! Mm-hmm. So you kind of started out just feeling like ashamed about being Filipino, and then in college you started to learn more, and then were drawn toward the Filipino community. Yeah, and then
0: it became my life purpose
1: yeah and
0: and it's like and it's funny because i'm the most cynical and eye roly about filipino stuff <laughs> really needed about it and i'm just like Ugh. you know just like the the kind of um it's either the flag or manny pacquiao <laughs> or <basketball laughs> or you know like the kind of basic filipino like identify identity things that Filipinos kind of mm-hmm. always ascribe to. Yeah. And I find it so shallow mm-hmm. and not real. It's not about loving basketball is not, <laughs> yes, it's part of our culture and part of us, but that's not your cultural identity, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Basketball is from America. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. It's actually
0: invented in Canada. What am I saying? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's like Manny Pacquiao is a bigot. <laughs> I don't want him to be my hero. Like we didn't know, like we thought it was so cool. And then, and then he became a politician and he's a complete homophobe bigot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, mm, that's not a good thing to, to kind of associate with my identity. Mm-hmm. you know and there's so much more our culture is so rich and there's so many different cultures within the Filipino culture Mm -hmm. and so it's like and no one knows anything about it yeah I'm only just learning now (laughs) right so Mm -hmm. I hear that so much my whole life in the 30s 40s 50s it's like I don't know anything Mm -hmm. I was born in Canada I didn't learn anything my parents didn't teach me anything
1: yeah oh my gosh yeah that sounds exactly like my life
0: (laughs) And it's awful. So I feel like, you know, with the fashion, it's like I'm getting to flex my artistic side in a real way rather than being an arts administrator, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I'm able to relay the same things. I feel like Vinta is Kapisanan volume Mm 2
1: that's so
0: cool. I'm still, you know, talking about, like we blog about Philippine identity and, you know, all that kind of stuff. so it's still a platform to speak to the community but i feel like now it's even bigger because we're online yeah true people who access vinta is not just in toronto yeah and um and fashion is like the easiest entry point it's like food Mm -hmm. (laughs) like eating at a filipino restaurant Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's like you start there And then you read descriptions and then you start going into the blog posts about, you know, the garments that I'm referencing and, and then you start learning that way.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I've experienced in like the couple of weeks that I've, I've known about Vinta. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, these clothes are beautiful. And then I've been like tinkering around on your website and um, looking at the blog and I was telling my family, I was like, oh my gosh, did you guys know like how Barong's like came to the Philippines, like how they started um, and they had no idea. So it's definitely like got us talking and learning. So is that like your goal? So you have obviously the clothes and they're amazing, but then
0: also to get Filipinos to learn more about our culture? Um, That wasn't, you know, when I transitioned out of running the community, like the arts and cultural center, um, I was like, okay, I'm done with that. I'm done doing community work. I am not that woman anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just going to be a fashion designer. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic happened. And then um, the civil rights uprising in the U.S. happened. And people really just, it was like things exploded exploded in our brains, you know, like when that whole thing was happening and it, it's still happening. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I was like, okay, I want to address this because as much as like, I was saying, I just want to be the fashion designer. I'm, I'm actually not just that fashion designer. Yeah. I was a community leader. I was a community worker. I, you know, I was like in educating Filipino cultural kind of um, history and, and arts to youth specifically right so it's like that part of my heart kind of came back and was like okay you need to talk about this mm-hmm. on the platform yeah and so I wrote a blog I don't know if you read it. it was called the a letter to the Philippinex diaspora um I'm not sure oh you should read that that one okay. that one went viral yeah we ended up getting like 10,000 views and oh, got wow. new followers in like a couple days. So then I was like, oh, shit, people want to know more. Mm-hmm. I can't just abandon it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was like what I wrote is just like an overview, and it's basically to give context. Like us Filipinos, we aren't Black, although a lot of us like to pretend we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
1: such a true fact. <laughs> a lot of facts,
0: mm-hmm. okay? But it's like we need to know where we come from first. Mm-hmm. Before we can be proper allies, yeah, to the Black Lives Matter movement,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and and we need to decolonize, and we need to look at our own shame and our own generational trauma and our own oppression, mm-hmm. and not just be like this model citizen that's like we're the perfect nurse <laughs> and we're <laughs> and we're the perfect servile Asian whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, People that come here and white people like us, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, um, and just like be aware of all of those kind of things before we can really like, and all of the the anti black racism within Filipinos. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, that absolutely exists. Huge. Why? Because we inherited that from our colonizers. Mm-hmm. That's not us. Yeah, white people taught us how to hate black people. So. We need to look at why we hate black people and why we hate ourselves first Mm -hmm. before we can contribute to that so it was like something that was like really apparent to me and i just i had put up the like the black square and i was like oh my god no i'm gonna take it down let me write something because Mm -hmm. this is important yeah so then i saw that how people reacted to it we had so many shares of that and it was like the most 101 like who are you Filipino and I just broke it down like with history and all this kind of stuff very 101 I am not an academic (laughs) it's like from what I learned throughout the years Mm -hmm. um, of doing my own research about Mm -hmm. our history Mm -hmm. Um, and then I realized I'm like oh my god Kapisanan is still needed in the world for the Filipino diaspora Mm -hmm then that became like the secondary kind of mission of vinta Mm -hmm. like okay if we're here presenting culture through clothing then we need to be able to address it when things come up Mm -hmm. or when people ask
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. so you're clothing people but also
0: educating them (laughs) yeah i mean it's part of the representing Mm -hmm. it's part of the job yeah we cannot um, remove ourselves from being public represent like representatives mm-hmm. of the culture. yeah we have to mm-hmm. you know
1: you said that we need to understand as Filipinos why we hate ourselves mm-hmm. um so why is why is that that we feel that way because we're
0: colonized first and foremost yeah um, One of the things that I said in that letter is that we don't have a unified identity as Filipinos of all the different tribes all over the archipelago all of the different indigenous um, peoples and the migratory ones like the in Mindanao you know they're all from Malaysia kind of thing like Mm -hmm. it's all a mishmash of different cultures and then the Spanish came and then just made it all become one, right? So our identity is based on being colonized.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That is the thing that holds us all together. And we need to look at that. And, you know, cause it's like indigenous people are totally oppressed and marginalized in the Philippines mm-hmm. because the main, the kind of um, dominant culture in the Philippines is the colonized culture. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just mimicking the colonizer. They're gone now. Philippines is supposedly independent. But the mentality is the same. Yeah. So the biggest consumers of whitening products, skin whitening products in the world are Filipinos. Wow. I knew we were up there. I didn't know we were number one. Number one. The most number one. (laughs) There is so much to learn. (laughs) It's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And for me it's like lifelong yeah for sure Still learning mm-hmm. learning new things about new different cultures that i'd never heard of
1: yeah i feel like what you were saying before about yourself and how like you were ashamed to be filipino and then like you started learning in college more about like your culture and like really got into it i feel like that's like the place i'm at in my life um mm-hmm. which i think a lot yeah a lot of filipinos can relate to but like growing up i was like, Grew up in an all-white community, so very much like wanted to be white. I don't think I would say that; (laughs) would have thought that like out loud. But like, and I don't think a lot of Filipinos would necessarily straight up think that. But like in the skin whitening and what we consider to be beautiful and all those things, like we definitely try hard to associate with white people. Um, Simulate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In that learning process getting it started
0: <laughs> good you have to mm-hmm. I feel like you know with with when I was doing and my mission was like uh young people young Filipino people don't have a solid foundation for confidence and just becoming an adult mm-hmm. if they don't have that knowledge of self yeah you are just a shell of a person if you don't learn it, accept it, you know, and and feel good about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your your confidence is like a, it's hollow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, no matter how smart, how educated, how much privilege you end up having or whatever. More so if you're underprivileged, if you're, you know, from a low income family and there's a lot of struggle, there's abuse, you know, like there's so many factors that kind of messes up your growth as a young person, like as a youth, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. There's so
0: many things that can traumatize you just mm-hmm. in general. And then if you have no knowledge of self and no, and then it's like, you know, for me growing up, it was like, I denied that I was Filipino, but it's like other people have called me out. Like it was my professor in photography in mm-hmm. art school who was like, okay, we're doing um self-portraits and you need to look into your family and your this and that and then she goes caroline there's a philippine women's center in the downtown east side you should go visit and i was like that was like the big the big catalyst for me mm-hmm. i was so embarrassed that she pointed me out mm-hmm. that i was filipino and i was like what what <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, this white woman is telling me that I'm Filipino. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: For so long, I've like, deluded myself into thinking that no one can tell. Or that I'm not Filipino because I've never admitted to it. Mm -hmm. Never talked about it. Avoided it altogether all the time. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know? And then people would think I'm Latino because I'm like slightly mestiza. So I just like, let them believe whatever. Yeah. About being Filipino. Mm
1: -hmm. it's so sad to think like we should be proud of that but Mm -hmm. I totally relate to I feel like yeah Filipinos it's so interesting like in a lot of ways like Filipinos want to be white as far as like like the skin coloring and all that kind of stuff but then in a lot of ways we want to be black too like in uh, like how we love basketball, and like a lot of like the the typical like things that you would associate with Black culture, like we've kind of like taken from that. So it's mm-hmm. like, what about yeah.
0: ourselves? it's Kind of like we're like that tropical parrot. Yeah, we kind of imitate and parrot all the other cultures because we have no reference point mm-hmm. because it's been erased through. 500 years of colonization Mm -hmm. so that's why we can sing like black people (laughs) you know blend in with the white folks and be accepted because we can excel we're smart you know
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and then it's like who are we where are we Mm -hmm. what's inside there yeah
1: wow it's so interesting i feel like (laughs) right now i'm like learning about my
0: life as i talk to you (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, talk to your parents. Mm -hmm. Like, my parents never taught me anything. My mom was like so, so intensely um, kind of colonized. Mm -hmm. My name is Caroline Mm -hmm. and just all American names because she's like, one day we're going to move to America.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That that was the dream. Yeah. And then Filipino was like corny or like. Mm it's like in poor and it's like oh that's Badui it's Filipino <laughs> you know yeah and I thought okay yeah there's lots of corny Badui Filipinos out there for sure mm-hmm. but there's also beautiful stuff yeah yeah you know? and you're showing it with your clothes <laughs> yeah so you know even with Kapisanan like this poster right here was made by Filipino artists at Kapisanan oh wow you know so it's like We can make beautiful things and we can be beautiful and we can, you know, that's all in us. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's not, it doesn't have to be a copy of what black people are doing. It doesn't have to be a copy of what white people are doing. It can be utterly and completely Filipino.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh man, I love it. (laughs) Here I was thinking, we're just gonna talk about clothes. (laughs) Now I'm doing a deep dive into my life. And understanding
0: yeah. my family. Yeah. I baited you with the clothes. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's literally exactly what you did. But I, I like it. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I think
0: awesome. that's you know, that's like I said, that's like the secondary mission of Vinta.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um back to the clothes. Do
0: you have a favorite piece that you've created? Uh, I don't. No. I like a lot of them. There's certain things like I make that sell really well, but I wouldn't necessarily wear Mm -hmm. like for myself because like this one, we're bringing it back actually, this camisa with the the pagoda sleeve from the 1890s. It's like pleated here and it's just a humongous voluminous sleeve, Mm -hmm. you know, like people love that sold out. So I'm bringing it back and I don't like big sleeves like that because it gets in the way for me, huh? it's like, because I'm super practical, look at me, I'm like utilitarian turtleneck every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I like the the sleeves when I go out, like the butterfly sleeves, mm-hmm. nice and neat and clean, and, and then just look like an alien, you know, like, it looks, <laughs> it looks so regal with the sleeves like this, and you have to like, kind of, your posture has to be, your neck has to be straight
1: mm-hmm. to be able
0: to off those sleeves you know so you act you actually have to act like a queen when you wear those. <laughs> so yeah I prefer I prefer the ternos over the barons mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. I just have like I'm like a black and white person like I I wear a lot of just black and white yeah um so I have a terno from like 2017 I think it's a terno mm-hmm. top it's like a crop top and it's just a butterfly sleeve, black cotton pique. So it's textured cotton terno top. I wear it with mm-hmm. jeans. I wear it with skirts. I just, that's it. That's my uniform.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's cool that you can wear it like with a bunch of different things.
0: Yeah, totally. That's why it's like the tops, it's a top thing. Like then you can wear it in different outfits.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what's been your favorite part about owning this business? Um, let's see, I guess it's just that I'm, I mean, I've never worked for anybody else other than, you know, when I worked at the mall and that kind of thing. Like when mm-hmm. I was your age and I first moved to Toronto, I worked at Chopper's mm-hmm. counter. I still have my pin. Caroline, beauty advisor. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and after that, I started making films. We had an independent film and television company. Um, and then I started Kapisanan and then Vinta. So as an, a full grown adult, I've never had to work for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Oh, because so cool. I'm too opinionated. And I'm <laughs> following what other people tell me. Because mm-hmm. I think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> or just like, you know, I want to do what I want to do. And I think it's going to work. And so far, it's been working. Mm-hmm. So that is like probably the most important thing for for me being an entrepreneur is that my autonomy. Mm-hmm. This particular business compared to running Capisana, um, I'm able to flex my creativity. Mm-hmm. Like I can actually say I'm an, a real creative now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm having to do creative work mm-hmm. other than also just being the CEO and running the company, which is inevitable when you want to be your own boss, right? Mm-hmm. That part of the job, I actually, I'd rather give it to somebody else eventually. Oh, yeah. I'll have opinions about it. <laughs> but um, I'd rather just only do creative work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that's what I'm working towards.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have any advice for business owners or people who are wanting to start a business?
0: Um, let's see. Um, I think that this, this kind of, it's almost like a cliche and it's always out there when it talks about startup because there's this whole society is moving towards entrepreneurship because the corporations are dismantling and, you know, everything's changing. Um, And I think that, you know, there's so many easy ways to kind of start up a business. And there's so many like little systems that are being sold out there on Instagram, you know, for young people to start businesses. But I think that what people really need to ask themselves is, is what problem am I solving? And it's like, if you're making a graphic t-shirt company, and it's like, whatevs, what problem are you solving? There's a billion graphic t-shirt companies out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know? So it's like, so you have a quirky phrase on your t-shirt. How are you gonna make that business sustainable? How are you gonna sell enough product? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know, for me with Vinta, it's like there was an actual problem, you know, and that's what led me into doing it because I was getting calls from Filipinos. Mm-hmm. I was even getting calls from California because they like just looked up Filipino center. Oh and my gosh. One of the few Filipino centers in North America. Wow. Listed that has a website that has a Facebook page that had it, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's like, I was up with the kind of technology where you can kind of have a presence. Whereas mm-hmm. the baby boomer organizations are still analog. They weren't online at the time, mm-hmm. you know? So then I'm getting a call from California, from like San Jose. Do you sell barongs there? (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: so funny. That's
0: good advice, though. What problem are you solving? You need to to have a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. And it has to be like really, really an actual problem and an actual solution. Mm -hmm. Can't just be, oh, well, I'm making pretty things. You know what I mean? And then there's you know, there's the occasional if you make a really beautiful product and then you all of a sudden sell tons of it. But that's not very common. Mm -hmm. It's not very common. Yeah. So I I think that, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you just have to be really, really practical Mm -hmm. and rational.
1: Yeah.
0: Very, it's like for it to succeed, it's like you have to be the most pragmatic. Mm It has to make sense.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like when you think of entrepreneur, you don't necessarily think like pragmatic. Like I feel like when I think pragmatic, I think like get a nine to five job. You know what I mean? Hmm.
0: just have this rep like we're like wild and yeah, wild. yeah. Oh, so, you know, off the beaten path type of thing. It's like, yeah, there's that. But those like some of them are outliers and that is very rare.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, you have to think within your own context. Where do I live? What, are, what service or product can I provide in that's feasible? Mm-hmm. You know, like those are the pragmatic things. And yeah. it's like, if, if like I wanted to get bigger and scale the business, how is it going to be possible? Like you have to think about that from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and think about, is there going to be options for me if I hit a next level? You know, so like really doing a top, like a bird's eye view on like how you want this to look like, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you want to just sell things off your Instagram and your, ma- you're a maker, you're making things like I've been doing it forever. Like I was, I was making earrings and selling on Etsy at the same time I was making films. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So it, it was always like, let me just see where it's gonna hit, you know? Yeah. And just keep making, keep mm-hmm. making. And then eventually, like, and then you meet people and collaborate with other people. But yeah, first and foremost, it's like, is there a demand? You know, I started making earrings because I was making earrings for myself and people wanted to buy them off me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: it, And I sold them.
1: Yeah.
0: And I made like a good part-time job wage from making them every month.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so cool. Um, so what is next for Vinta Gallery? What, what are you focusing on?
0: um well we're just trying to um get through this pandemic because we don't know what's going to happen next yeah um i had so we do custom bridal too right like weddings so barongs and um bridal gowns and stuff like that um and all of my brides this year have postponed right um which is fine um and now yeah, I don't, honestly, it's like we're trying to do a marketing strategy, like let's see and everything, like all this market kind of research stuff on the internet is saying like, sweatpants are here to stay. We're going to wear sweatpants. And I was like, I cannot believe that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't believe that. No way. Because it's like once people get out, guess what? We're all going to get dressed up and put makeup on and party Yeah, a million percent. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. be with other people and, like, drink and go to the bar and, like, look extra. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, I will definitely not be living in sweatpants. I keep saying to my friends, like, guys, I just want to wear pleather and go out and not be in my sweats. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Exactly. You know,
0: I read something about um, the last global pandemic, 1918. Mm -hmm. and and like everybody was like in lockdown around the same time like about two years and and then when they got out and everybody got well what happened the roaring 20s -hmm. right it's like Mm -hmm. it was like a new kind of sense of liberation for women there was like a new feminist like a first wave of feminism and women stopped wearing corsets started wearing those loose dresses with beads and stuff and Mm-hmm. everything was out dancing and like a new creative kind of movement happened like the art deco movement mm-hmm. so and vinta's aesthetic is very much inspired by the art deco movement
1: mm-hmm. mm, that's exciting so once we get out of this gonna
0: <laughs> hit up Vintage. Yeah, 20s 2020s mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're hoping for and kind of planning for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, what's the biggest thing that Vinta and running this business has taught you?
0: Um, I guess over the last year, um, it was the first time like um, my organized, like my Organization. I'm talking like I'm still running Capisana, Vinta, my brand was called out online, and it became this war um, about using a certain indigenous fabric that I use. Anyways, mm-hmm. I was being called a cultural appropriator, mm. and um, and that was like a. It was really hard. It was really mm-hmm. really stressful, um, but then all of these people from the Philippines like we ended up starting this like web forum that brought in all of these indigenous leaders and culture bearers from the Philippines to talk about what happened basically so I had my back covered in the homeland and those webinars ended up garnering like 4,000 viewers it was like Mm -hmm. on zoom and um it felt really amazing to kind of like Oh, all these people in the Philippines who I know, like I source fabric from some of them. I, you know, like of all the years of going back there and being connected to them, we were all together on this virtual forum with a humongous global Filipino audience. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, it's amazing to be part of this community. It's like working in Toronto, running the center in Kensington Market that's the community. It's so small, you know? Mm-hmm. And then being online and like having, you know, because there's so many call outs this year. People were like just on edge and people just felt like fighting and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then that came out of it. I was like, oh, I'm, I definitely feel like I'm part of a whole.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in terms of the naysayers and the critics, the critiques, or the the critics, rather, it's like, I took it so personal. And, and I think everybody who gets called out takes it personal and gets really upset. It's upsetting, you know, especially when it went on for like a month. <laughs> and it was like people calling me names and just being cyber bullies, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I had to learn from that was that Vinta is not my house. They are not inside my house. And it was like a really hard and big lesson to learn because I felt like you are coming into my house and calling me names to my face and you don't even know what I've done. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you don't know me kind of thing. And it, it was so personal. And I was like, oh okay, yeah, I need to push and understand that I have now created a business. It's not my house anymore,
1: hmm.
0: you know, and having that kind of separation um, was a big, probably one of the biggest lessons.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's hard. Cause you've created it like from the ground up. So to create a separation, I feel.
0: And like- I've dedicated my life to Filipino culture. Yeah. A yeah. bunch of Filipino Americans to call me a cultural appropriator was insane. Mm -hmm. It was like my whole life Mm -hmm. has been dedicated to our culture.
1: Mm -hmm. Wait, so I don't understand how would you be appropriating Filipino culture if you are
0: Filipino? I used a print. Oh, I see, I see. I used a print. Here's a sample of the print. You can't tell. Anyway, the print's made in China. Mm. And I bought it because it was the pandemic. And I was trying to create a cheaper product. Mm. I also make product out of this pattern. It's ifugao. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a weave. Let me show you just mm-hmm. there. Mm. So it's that's a- ethically sourced uh, mm-hmm. hand loom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then I had some hand loom stuff that wasn't ethically sourced. I just bought it in the palenque.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the so play- there would like the market for people who are listening and are like, what is that? Yeah, Palenque is the market. It's like, it's one of the oldest kind of textile um, markets in the Philippines.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, so there was layers of like, you shouldn't use that. You shouldn't use that because that's not sourced directly from the weaver. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: everybody just kind of glossed over the fact that I do have some ethically sourced stuff. Mm-hmm. Then it became like. Vinta is bad. Don't buy from Vinta. And it was like an active, kind of um, effort to shut me down.
1: Mm, man. Shut
0: the business. Wow. And then you know they ended up getting backlash, and all these Filipinos from the Philippines supported me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So it was good, and it was like more. It was more so the amount of people who are like, okay it's not a hard line like that Mm -hmm. it's not black and white it's not white settler versus indigenous it's not the same yeah there's like so much gray area um Mm -hmm. where yeah for sure you can fall in the dominant culture and be like colonized mentality colonizer mentality um but then from the diaspora, like from people who are here, we have a very different view. It's like because we're so there's so much longing for us to like, oh, I just want something that's represents me that I can mm-hmm. wear. And most of our customers are like that, you know, and it's like, who are we to deny? Who am I to deny that? If we people are selling this fabric, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to make clothes out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell people in the product description where it's from, who are Ifugao people, where are they in the Philippines? You know, like just
1: mm-hmm. whatever
0: I know, put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We all make mistakes and it's like, I'm never buying that print again. That's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and now I'm actually donating $5 from every sale of the last of this product back to um, Ifugao Nation, the Galieras. So... You know, like I was able to kind of pivot and make it better, correct the mistake. But it's like to try and shut down a small business that pays living wages to Filipinos in the Philippines, it's like it's a little bit harsh.
1: Yeah, extremely harsh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, that was one of my biggest lessons was to Mm -hmm. like, it's not about me. Yeah. These kind of fights. It's like, I know I have to be confident in what I've done and my intention mm-hmm. and what I am doing and how people take that is not is not something that it's not about me it's about them yeah and it's not something I can control so I can't I shouldn't take it personal it's hard still you know take it personal because it's, it's a passionate kind of approach to doing the work
1: Hmm. Oh, man that's a good one it's a big lesson. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, my last two questions, which I ask everybody. Uh, The first one is what is something that you're learning right now?
0: What is something that I'm learning right now? Um, Right now, this stage of us in this pandemic, um, I'm really trying hard to learn how to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. That's Um, a good one. Because I'm like, I have that kind of COVID anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's like in your waking life, you don't feel it, but it's like my body's sore all the time. And it's just like, I could just feel it in my body. And the thing that releases is meditation, Mm. but I don't give myself the time, enough time to do it. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, am I gonna do it right now? Okay, I guess. Can everybody be quiet? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's hard because, like, I have an eight-year-old who's like cooped up, mm-hmm. virtual schooling. So it's like it's really yeah. how it's like really listening to your body. Yeah. And, and I'm a, obviously a workaholic. When you're an entrepreneur, you're generally a workaholic. So mm-hmm. it's like really forcing me to pay attention to like how, how much I'm stressing my body.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, and then the last question is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far?
0: Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> cool. Uh Yeah, but the, the danger in talking about your biggest lesson is that, you know, when people listen and um, I was like, oh yeah, I like that girl. Oh, biggest lesson, great. But then it's like, the biggest lesson is not for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a very individual thing. Yeah. Um, and I think for me is um, the, the trusting myself, trusting my gut. I always have in such a, like, in the most rebellious and maverick way. Mm-hmm. And i it's gotten me into a lot of trouble in my youth. But it has served me well being that rebel has served me so well mm-hmm. you know I never listened to anybody else mm-hmm. <laughs> I always just want, did what I wanted to do mm-hmm. That's you know cool. from, from the beginning mm-hmm. and it has served me really well and mm-hmm. so it's like you know I'm still like everybody else that has imposter syndrome that has self-doubt and that kind of thing but in terms of the long game, in retrospect, Mm -hmm. everything that, everything was about my gut instinct and following that and following through. Mm -hmm. And then what I want to happen happens.